Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, there is a context to this, but, which I'll show you later, but Jesus commands us to be perfect. There is no explaining that away. There is no way around it. There's no way out of it. It is a command from Jesus. Be perfect, just like God. Is Jesus unrealistic? No. He's not saying this because he's uh, controlling or because he's a dictator. He's saying this because he wants us to make it to heaven, to be with him. He is desperate for us to be with him, and only perfect people get into heaven. Serious. Hebrews 10 says so. Well, Mitch, Jesus will, he'll make me perfect when I get there. Who told you that? That's not in the Bible. If you have said yes to Jesus, if you have come to him and asked for forgiveness of your sins, if you are born again, you are born again. The old is gone and the new has come. You're not going to be born again again when you get to heaven. You are as born again now as you're ever going to be. Unless you haven't been yet in Christ, and we would love to introduce you to him today if that's true. But if you're already born again, it's already happened. The old is gone. The new has come already. Live like it. Be perfect. Well, Mitch, nobody is perfect. Well, Jesus was. And he expects us to be like him. Revelation 3, 1 to 5, he's talking to the church in Sardis. And Jesus says, I know your works, that you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for it is about to die. I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember what you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. If you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour that I will come upon you. A few have not soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. Those of you who were here last week, should, that should mean a lot to you. By the way, the paint did not come out of my shirt. I don't have uh, Holy Spirit OxyClean, um, so I had to throw my shirts away. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go online and listen to last Sunday. But uh, if we overcome, Jesus says, you can wear white with me, which speaks of complete purity, total holiness. But Jesus says here, I know your works. He's talking to a church, a, a congregation. He says, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up. When I read that passage, I don't automatically think, oh, I'm glad that doesn't apply to our church. It is my prayer that it is not our church. But I don't just wipe that away like, oh, that could never be. Our church really is alive. What if we're not? Jesus, save us. Because we do have a reputation that we're alive. I don't want Jesus to come and say, that's what everybody in Legrand thought, but I think you're about to die. Hello? He says, I have not found your works perfect before God. Jesus. Patient, kind, long-suffering, forgiving, saving, tender shepherd Jesus. You are not perfect yet. I'm about to reject you. Is Jesus unrealistic? Is he crazy to expect 
that we could be perfect? Is that possible? Look what he tells this guy. Matthew chapter 19. Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus replied, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Well, which ones? The man asked. And the Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not lie. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a pretty good list. And the man says, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. This guy tells Jesus, looking Jesus in the eye, he tells him, I've obeyed all those commands. I can't tell Jesus that I have. This is a really good guy. In fact, Jesus says, you only need to do one thing to be perfect. That's a good guy. But notice what Jesus does. He touches that one thing, the only thing left. And goodbye. Because it was the one thing he was not willing to surrender. This is, a, this is quite possibly the best guy Jesus ever ran into. And Jesus touches the one thing he knows he won't surrender and, and pushes him away. He says, all right, yeah, I know you're not going to give that up. But he tells him, if you would, you would be perfect. So Jesus is not crazy. It is possible. Well, Mitch, nobody's perfect. That's not in the Bible. It says we're all sinners, but there's a lot of verses I'm about to show you where we're commanded to be perfect. The devil will tell you you don't have to be perfect. God never said that. <laughs> David and Moses and Paul, all three, called themselves perfect. You can't write, I am perfect, in inspired scripture if it's not true. David, Moses, and Paul all called themselves perfect. Luke and Paul say, both say, I have perfect understanding. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. Serious. In Scripture, it's the Word of God. Paul says, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. And God will let you understand what I know. Luke says at the beginning of his gospel, I have had perfect understanding from the beginning. It's inspired Scripture, so it has to be true. Job says, I'm blameless. Why did God do this to me? I haven't sinned. Paul does two times. He says, I'm blameless. God says, Abraham is blameless. And God says, Abraham had perfect faith. If this scares you or makes you feel defeated, and I'm only three minutes in, I really do hope that you will be excited and inspired when, by the time I'm done. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 says that any elder or deacon of the church has to be blameless, meaning no one may be able to name a sin. 1 Timothy 5 says the widows in the church must be blameless. James says if you would control your tongue, you would be perfect. Hello? If you would control your tongue, you would be perfect. Bobby Connor was praying in a public meeting one time, and he prayed in front of the congregation, Oh, Jesus, there's no one like you. And he said, immediately the Holy Spirit said, yes, and that's a total shame. Jesus is returning for a bride that is without spot or wrinkle. She is perfect, 
White as snow. And when does that happen? When is the bride ready? Is it after Jesus comes back and makes her ready? No. In Revelation, the the angel announces, the bride has made herself ready, and then Jesus comes on the white horse. The bride has made herself ready, pure and spotless, white as snow. He is returning very, very soon. And I'm attempting to make you ready. I'm not here to judge you or to scare you or to make you defeated or condemned from the beginning. I'm I'm just very concerned that there are many people in the sound of my voice that you think you're going to heaven and you're not. Four times Jesus makes this desperate plea to people who think they call him Lord and then they really aren't living like it. Because 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God says, you cleanse yourself and make your holiness perfect. Would he command it if it wasn't possible? But you've been lied to so many times, it's hard to believe that it's possible. Matthew 5.20, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is in the passage where he says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not one jot or tittle of the whole law will pass away until all things are fulfilled. And then he says, you have to do better than the Pharisees and scribes if you want to enter my kingdom. He uses the word exceeds. Jesus didn't say, you have to do the opposite of what the Pharisees and scribes do. We all know they were self-righteous, egotistical jerks. He doesn't say you have to do the opposite of them. He says you have to exceed them. If you exceed something, it means you do everything they do plus more. The only time Jesus ever complimented or said anything positive at all to the Pharisees was on how strict they were about their tithing. That's the only thing that, they, that he said they did right. He said, you should do that, but you forget the weightier commands of love and justice and mercy. So, yeah, he condemned the Pharisees. He picked fights. He made arguments. He picked a fight so strongly with them that they killed him. But we don't want to copy the Pharisees, but Jesus said we have to exceed their righteousness. You have to surpass them in righteousness. Exceed them. He tells one Pharisee, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. That's not Nicodemus, it was another one. He didn't say, you need to unlearn everything you think about being strict and religious and righteous. He says, no, you're almost there, but it's not enough. But, on the other hand, in my 11 years of pastoring this church, I've had two people, two men, tell me in total seriousness, right up here, in the church, to tell me that they were going to not sin, ever. Neither one of them is walking with the Lord. They have other similarities too, but I won't tell you what those are. But they both told me in complete seriousness, I am going to not sin. And within months, neither one of them was walking with God at all. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, nothing, zero. You cannot do this without me. 
This is not an exercise of self-control. This is not bite down hard and effort my way into being perfect. It has nothing to do with that. It's not performance pressure. It's not about fearing that God's going to condemn me because I sinned yesterday. It is God's standard is higher than that. It is completely useless to say, I'm going to be good. C.S. Lewis said, no one knows how truly bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Amen? The harder you try to be good, the more you notice everything you do wrong. Just like when you're dieting or fasting, all you want to think about is food. If you're trying really hard to be good, all you're going to think about is all your failings and mistakes and sins. Being good is the hardest thing you've never done. Seriously, you've never done it. And you can't. You cannot be good. It is impossible. But in Luke 13, Jesus says this, Strive, and other translations translate it, Work hard or make every effort to enter through the narrow door. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus said, Do everything you can. To enter through the narrow door. Who said, I am the door? Jesus. In Revelation, John sees a door standing open in heaven. That's Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the entry. I am the gate. I am the door. Make every effort. Can you honestly say you're making every effort to get into Christ? I can't. Jesus said, you strive. Work hard, make every effort to come into me because I am the straight and narrow path. Make every effort because I say many people will seek it and not find it. Many people, four times Jesus tells parables or makes statements about people that call him Lord, but he really wasn't because they didn't stick to the straight and narrow. Jesus is the door, and he said the door is narrow. Is Jesus narrow-minded? Yes. He's the most narrow-minded man ever. All he thinks about is his Father's will. He thinks about one thing, and that's it. He's the most narrow-minded man ever. This is the one thing I want, and it's the one thing I'm going to do, and it's all I want from you. So if this is my straight and narrow path, Okay, that's, that's Bible language, straight and narrow. It's not, it's not even this wide. It's like a knife's edge. It's one of those elf queens in Lord of the Rings that says the quest stands upon a knife, stray but a little, and all is lost. That's, that's walking with the Lord, folks. The, the, the straight and narrow is a knife's edge. If this is my straight and narrow path, there is a big old fat wide ditch on either side that is really easy to fall, fall into. If I'm trying to please God, I might fall into this ditch. Now, nothing personal for those of you who chose to sit over here. But in this ditch is the Pharisees. The, over here is the self-righteous. I have to look good. I have to keep God happy and I have to keep everybody else happy. And there's performance pressure and there's condemnation and there's fear over here in this ditch. Do not fall in this ditch. When Jesus says, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, and you all went, it's because you're in this ditch. Hello? In this ditch is condemnation. In that ditch is fear. In that ditch is performance pressure. It's Pharisee perfectionism. There's this 
you become a dictator of yourself and other people that we have to do it right or else God, oh no! Or, maybe it's not fear, maybe it's gross pride. I am doing it right. I am perfect. All you plebes around me that mess me up. Over here though, so we know we're not supposed to be like the Pharisees. So, but instead of walking that knife's edge, we take a hard left. Well, I don't want to be like them, so I'm going to go over here and I'm not even going to try. This ditch is just as bad as that one. Over here is despair, it's hopelessness, it's depression. I could never be good enough. I don't need to try. Jesus is going to have to forgive me, but I'm worthless and I'm helpless and I'm hopeless. Do not fall in this ditch. It's just as evil as this one. In this ditch is this gross assumption of, well, God will forgive me of whatever I do. I don't need to worry about it too much. It just, God is long-suffering. He's good. And I just assume that he will forgive me instead of asking for his forgiveness. Over here in this ditch is fear of trying. It's also a pride of self-righteousness. Well, God understands and God loves me anyway. And nobody's perfect and... We're all broken and weak. Don't ever use your brokenness and your weakness as an excuse for your flesh. Do not use your weakness and your brokenness as an excuse to keep doing something wrong. In this ditch, we use God's word against him. The Bible says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And oh, don't we love to quote that. Well, God, you know that I meant well. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's only the second half of the verse. The first half, Jesus says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Excuses, excuses, excuses are in this ditch. Pride, condemnation, judgment, fear. Self-loathing lives in both ditches. Depression lives in both ditches. Terror that somebody's going to find out that I am who I am or that I'm going to meet God and be condemned lives in both ditches. Right here on the knife's edge, the straight and narrow, is Jesus Christ. Right in there where I must do this right because I love him. Not because he's going to damn me to hell if I make a mistake, but because I want to please him. I want to do it right. I want to serve him. This path is Jesus Christ. So I take him by the hand, and he leads me down the straight and narrow. Perfection is, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Perfection is abiding with Christ. It is I am in constant contact with Jesus, and whatever he leads me to do, I do. And when I mess up, I instantly confess it and ask my forgiveness, and it's perfect. Hello? Hello? I keep it clean. I keep it perfect. Not that I did it perfect, but I keep it perfect. You see it? It's Jesus. It's abiding with him. It's a clean conscience. It's, it's perfect relationship. It's perfect communion with him that I'm constantly aware of his presence and his word and his commands and what he wants me to do. And when I do it, yay. And when I don't, I make it right instantly. This path is by grace through faith, like everything else with him. It's his grace that makes it possible, but I have to give him some faith to work with. I will go to one of these ditches I have rejected faith. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 
He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, but my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest in me. I can't do this. I can't do this. But he can. Without me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I have to admit, I can't do this. And guess what God says when you do that, when you admit your weakness? My power is perfect. So Paul says, I boasted my weaknesses. Now he was not bragging about his weaknesses and his brokenness in a way that permitted him to sin. No, I brag about my weaknesses so that God's power is perfect in me. So that I can get it right. Well, Mitch, we're all broken and weak. and Yeah, but in Christ you're supposed to be saved and healed and victorious. None of us are experiencing that in full, but that's the goal. The goal is not to make excuses that, well, I'm just weak and broken. No, he doesn't leave us like that. Come on. By grace through faith. My grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfect. When you admit, actually, that you're not perfect, there's this tension. There's this irony. There's this paradox that the harder I try, the more I will fail. But if I don't try, I'm guaranteed to fail. So if I try to live in this ditch, I'm going to be continually condemned and disappointed. If I try to live in this ditch, I'm never going to succeed in anything. How about trying to walk the knife's edge? Grab Jesus' hand and walk this, walk this, walk this, walk this. You can do it. The straight and narrow. It's possible. Jesus wouldn't have said, be perfect, if it's not possible. The perfection of God is not you trying harder. It's admitting that you can't. And when you admit that, without excuse, his power becomes perfect. This is the path of obedience. James 2. God says, you believe in God. Great. Even the demons believe and tremble. But don't you know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works his faith was made perfect. James's point here is, you can talk a good talk all you want, but you're not playing the game. You have to do something in obedience to God, like Abraham did when he offered his son Isaac. And look at that, God says... Abraham's faith was perfect. God is pleasable. I told you this a few weeks ago. God is pleasable. He is satisfiable. God says Abraham's faith was perfect. That means when Abraham offered Isaac on the altar, he didn't kill him. God stopped him. So if you don't know the story, God didn't authorize human sacrifice. But he made Abraham think he was going to have to. And Abraham obeyed. And God says, Abraham, your faith is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. I require nothing more. You're perfect. Does that mean Abraham didn't sin? No. You can read the story and you know he was not a perfect man in his conduct. He sinned. The Bible doesn't hide that. But God says, by faith, you're perfect. Your faith is perfect for me. Come on. 
the perfection that Jesus requires is not that you never make a mistake. It is have perfect faith. Obey me when I tell you to do something. Because when you do, I'm pleasable. I'm satisfiable. Well, oh, Mitch, we can always do more. No. God can say, today it's enough. We picture God like this, this perpetually displeased father who nothing is ever enough. Your room's never clean enough. You've never done enough chores. There's always more to do. There's always you can practice harder. You didn't play the game right. And he's critique, critique, criticize, nitpick. God is not like that. Abraham got to a point where God says, your faith is perfect. I'm pleased. This is great. I told you this weeks ago, but you can, each day, you can read your Bible enough. It's possible. Well, I bet you can always do more. No, it's not true. God's satisfiable. We can always pray more. Well, maybe not today. Maybe you've done enough for today. God, God's got something else for you to do. Maybe you'll pray six hours tomorrow, but maybe five minutes is enough today. Be willing for either one. Walk that path. Come on. Abraham's faith was perfect. God says so. And it was perfect because he obeyed. He actually did something rather than just talk faith. He actually obeyed. This is the path of obedience. This is the path of the cross. If this path is Jesus... If this path has a name and it's Jesus Christ, the gate to the path has a name and it's Jesus, then it's the path of the cross because that's the path he walked. Jesus never got a vacation from the cross. You know, there was only one day where he actually was on it, but he bore it all his life because he told us every day, take up your cross and follow me. Hello? Take up your cross daily. So he wasn't talking about a physical cross. He's talking about the burden of self-sacrifice, the burden of dying to self that I have to carry in order to love God and serve the people around me. Whatever that is, whatever your service to God, your ministry, whatever it is that you, it's the quote in your bulletin actually from A.A. Allen. He says, your cross is not your normal everyday problems because everybody has those, saved or not. Your cross is not sickness because everybody gets sick uh, and everybody has to deal with it. Your cross is what are you doing for God that you would like to quit because it hurts, but you can't put that cross down. You can't put down sickness or marriage problems or troubles with neighbors and idiots that you work with and stuff like that. Everybody has those problems. Your cross is what did you pick up on purpose to obey God and love people that you would like to put down, but because of love, I don't. I have to serve God. I have to do this. I have to carry this cross. Hello? This is the path of the cross. And look what God says about Jesus with his cross. Hebrews 5, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. In Hebrews 2, 10, God made Jesus perfect through sufferings. Hmm, Mitch, I thought Jesus was always perfect. Hmm, God made Jesus perfect. He learned obedience. Mitch, he didn't ever sin. He was born perfect. Yes, right. But in his glory with God, before he became Emmanuel, before he took on flesh, he didn't have to obey his father. They were just one. And when he took on flesh, he also got 
a free will. He could have chosen the sin. We know that from the garden because he did not want to go to the cross. But he said, not will my will, but yours be done. He had to learn to obey every moment of every day. He never, ever once failed, but every moment was a new decision. Am I going to obey or not? And he learned obedience. That's amazing. And how did he learn it? Through the things that he suffered. We don't learn obedience when God gives us things to do that we wanted to do anyway. We learn obedience when he tells us things to do that we don't want to do. Now are you going to obey me or not? And the suffering made him perfect. What? Jesus was already perfect. Do you see that the perfection God is looking for is not that you never make a mistake? This proves it. Jesus never made a mistake. When Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, it doesn't mean you can't make mistakes. Confess those, get them under the blood of Jesus, be gone. Move on. The perfection God is looking for is, are you, gonna be, are you becoming like me? In love, in suffering, in obedience. God made Jesus perfect through sufferings. What could that possibly mean? It doesn't mean that it, he stopped making mistakes and he stopped sinning, because that never started. It means it made him complete. Now, the whole thing is done. It's complete and there's a verse that says God was satisfied with his son. You can please God. You're going to have to walk that path, the straight and narrow path of suffering. Carry your cross. But you can please God. James says this, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It is possible. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. (gasps) No, I could never do that. Oh no, I wish I'd stayed in bed this morning. No, it's possible. God says, you can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. How? When you have patience in your troubles. And notice who's doing the work. Are you having to bite down harder and do it better? No, who's doing the work? Patience. Patience does the work of making you perfect. All you have to do is be patient. Now that may take some biting down and be hard. (laughs) God doesn't talk about what you want to do, what you feel like doing. (laughs) You'd like to bust their nose, but if you force yourself to be patient... God says, oh, now we're getting somewhere. Now I'm making you perfect. He doesn't say how you feel. He doesn't say what you would like to do. He doesn't say how you messed up. Just in the end, be patient, and that will make you perfect. Come on. Let patience have its perfect work. Patience will work in you. All you have to do is be patient. All. Yeah, like it's not really easy. (sighs) Ah. I told you there was a context for Matthew 5, so let's go back to the opening verse. Matthew 5, 44. I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? If you are kind to your friends only, what do you do more than others? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's the context for Jesus' statement. You have to be perfect. His context is love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who spitefully use you. Pray for those who persecute you. Uh, Friday morning I was walking into Walmart, and as is the case fairly often in a parking lot, a woman begins to back out as I'm right next to her bumper. Uh, I have had to slap a car before to let them know that I'm there. You know, they just don't see. I've had to stop and wait on somebody to back out. In this case, I just jumped out of the way and kept on going. I didn't glare at her. I didn't look at her. I didn't do nothing. I just, she didn't do anything wrong. It's just people don't see. As I'm walking, she rolls her window down and calls me a name that I cannot repeat in church, but it rhymes with glass pole. I, I'm like, did I hear that right? I turned around and she's rolled her window down and she's glaring at me. I'm like, oh, I, I just was so mad because I, not only had I not done anything wrong, I had skipped to hurry out of her way and I guess because I delayed her backing up or something. I have no idea what she thought I did wrong. But she called me a glass pole. <laughs> and and I, I, all I, did, I turned around, I caught her glare, and oh, I was, oh I'm not going to let her get away with that. And I, and I was like, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I just kept, just keep walking, just keep walking. And I went in the store, and I got in my cart, and I stopped right in the middle of the door, probably blocking traffic. I don't know. Because it, it, it made me so mad and it hurt because I had had a great morning with God. I was in a great mood. I had tried to skip out of her way as quick as possible. And I'm a glass pole. <laughs> I, I'm, standing, I'm just like, and this verse comes to mind. Bless those who curse you. She, I was like, okay, God, she just cursed me. I have to bless her. I did not want to. I was mad. And it hurt. It really stung. I don't know why. Usually people flip me off in traffic or whatever. I can just laugh about it. Oh, God bless you. Have a nice day. I, I really do. I, I can. I can pray for them like Jesus said to do. Uh, but this one really stung because it was so completely out of nowhere. What in the world did you mean? And um, Char, who works at Walmart, she and Troy go to our church here if you don't know them. But she was at the deli and, oh, Pastor Mitch, how are you doing? Like, well, honestly... I'm, I'm having to work through something right now. I just got called a glass pole out in the parking lot and, and I'm having to forgive her. And, and she's like, you know what? I just got ripped up, turned up one side and down the other. Just this morning, it was completely unfair. And I just like, Jesus, you just give her a good day. And I just blessed her. And, you know, because that's what we have to do. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks, God. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Pour it on. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect means love like I love. Bless those who curse you. Forgive. Jesus never says forgive and forget. He says forgive and do good. Forgive them and do something good to them. Don't forgive and leave them alone and forget about it. Forgive and go back and intentionally do something good. (sighs) Well, I can't find this woman. I don't know. But I prayed for her. I blessed her. Okay, God. It took a while. It really did. It was maybe another 20 minutes before I felt any 
relief from what she made me feel. God doesn't say anything about your feelings or anything about how you might fail on your way to this, but get here. Get here. This is the perfection Jesus requires. Is not that you be morally perfect, never flawed, never failed, never make a mistake, never even sin, even if it's on purpose. It is that you have honest faith and honest obedience, and I am pleased with your perfect heart. That you honestly want to obey me and do it right and love people like I love him. It is possible. It really is possible to be perfect. Jesus commanded it, and then God says, it's possible. You can do this. The last thing I want to tell you about this path is that it's a path. It's a journey. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's a path. It's a journey. Paul says, I'm not there yet, but every day I wake up and I forget yesterday. I don't make any excuses about yesterday and I don't rest on anything I did yesterday. Today's a new day and the goal is perfection. Hello, I don't beat myself up because I wasn't perfect yesterday, and I don't congratulate myself because I got it right yesterday. Today's a new day. Come on. I lay it all aside. I know I have not yet apprehended it. Today, I have a little more to go, and tomorrow will be more perfecter, and tomorrow will be more perfecter, and tomorrow will be more perfecter. You've set your goal way too low. Jesus' goal is perfection. He wouldn't tell us to do something that's not possible. It is not possible by our own strength. It is not possible. Our goal is not to not sin. Our goal is to grab a hold of Jesus and never let go. And let him keep us on this path instead of falling into one of these ditches. There are some people maybe in the room who are in this ditch. Some. Mostly where I hear Christians now is in this ditch using our weaknesses and our excuses and our past and our failures to excuse us from even trying you need to raise your gaze you need to receive God's word that his expectation is perfection and that doesn't mean that I'm not going to make mistakes it's just that that's my honest goal is to love him with a perfect love to obey him with a perfect obedience to grab a hold of him in perfect relationship and never let go. That I take my cross and I suffer with him, whatever that is, whatever he's asked each of you individually to do, I will pay that price. And in that suffering, he will make me perfect. And that it is a journey. I don't beat myself up, nor do I congratulate myself about yesterday. I move through today, honestly wanting to get it right. Amen. Lord Jesus, you are perfect. You are the perfect man. And you deserve a perfect bride. Lord, you are the perfect king of kings. And you deserve a perfect wife. A perfect church. Who is your queen seated beside you. 
to rule heaven and earth. So we want to be spotless, free of wrinkle and stain. We cannot do that in ourselves. And we are very glad that you know that, that you understand we cannot defeat sin on our own. Our goal is not to be sin-free in our own self-control and our own efforts. Our goal is to enter by the narrow gate. Lord, you told us to make every effort to find and to enter by the narrow door. So we make that our pledge this morning. That we will have no excuses. We will have no weak talk. We will not justify and excuse our flesh. Thank you that you are kind and you are gentle and you are long-suffering and you are instantly forgiving. And you are never angry at honest mistakes. That you do not accept any excuse for our flesh nature that keeps us sinning. Because you crucified that already. You know it's already, it's already gone. You know that you gave us your word and your spirit so that we can live in victory and that the new has come and the old is gone. You wouldn't require something that isn't possible. Lord, without you we can do nothing, but with you we can do all things. In our own strength, Lord, we have nothing to brag about but weakness, but in weakness your strength is made perfect. So we sign on, Lord, to enter through the narrow door and to walk the straight and narrow path. Keep us out of the ditch of self-righteousness and perfectionism and Pharisee rule following. Lord, I ask also that you keep us out of the ditch where we use excuses and justifications to keep sinning, to stay weak, to not try. Lord, where we would use your word against you, we would so take your forgiveness for granted that we just take it for granted. We honestly want to live in communion with you, to abide in you, to grab a hold of you and not let go, and you will lead us down the knife's edge, the straight and narrow.